Hey guys, what is up? And welcome to Rachel's Rants. Today we're going to be starting episode one of a six episode series yet again, and this is called Unsolved Mysteries. This has become a really popular show on Netflix, and I figured I might as well, you know, see it and see what it's all about. And um, I definitely became addicted, and I finished the show in about two days. Um, the first episode is just, it's kind of crazy, and this is called, what was it really? It was called Mystery on the Rooftop, and the description that Netflix put in was that a man named Ray Rivera disappears after rushing from his home. Days later, his car is found, and that's kind of like a hook into saying, oh, like, you should watch this to see what really happens. And then another thing that they put in was that a strange sight at a historic hotel triggers a baffling mystery. Um, I love mystery shows. I love crime shows. And so I really, I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. So I wanted to keep watching. And when I did, I instantly became a detective and I was basically solving these cases left and right. Um, it's just, they really know how to hook you. And it makes you want to know like what happened to the man Ray Rivera. Hey guys, thank you all for listening in so far in this episode. After a quick break from our sponsors, we will get back into the podcast. Thank you all for listening in, and let's get back into the story. Now, the story really starts out with um, Ray Rivera getting married. It's very cute, showing that he's like a family man, uh, pretty much the aspects around his life. Then it starts to move into when they had to move to help him get a better job and his best friend Porter wanted him to work with like they wanted to work together and um I was like oh that's so sweet like best friends and kind of stuff like that but for some reason I just thought it was like a little odd at how much he pushed it because it was a pretty big move and Porter was the only one they knew in their new house and like new neighborhood I just thought that it was kind of a little bit odd that he was so persistent about it and uh, later I kind of like questioned it more and more So the story really opens up on May 16th in the year 2006. Um, Ray made breakfast for his wife, um, and so she was going on a business trip, and so, you know, they just said, like, I love you to each other, and um, it was nice, and I was like, oh, that's so cute, like, I love you. But then he said, thank you, thank you for loving me so much. And I was like, wow, okay, that's a little odd. I mean, like, that's super sweet, like, just in in general, in context. But... Um, knowing that something bad was going to happen to him just um, later on in the story, I was like, that's kind of weird that he would say that, like, something odd must be, like, up. So then, like, a little bit of, like, a red flag happened. Um, So then, like, later that night, around 6 or 6.30, she calls to check in on him after she gets in the hotel, and he does not answer. Now, they also have a house guest named Claudia, who's a business um, associate with um, his wife. She makes a phone call, and she asks her you know, like, what happened? Like, where's Ray? Why isn't he answering his phone? And so she tells her that a phone call around 6.30 happened with Ray picking up the phone. Then he left the house in a hurry. And, um, he just, he left and never returned. He was, he was gone. And so no one has heard from him. Uh, no one, no one knows, like, where he went. His car is gone. It was just, the whole thing is just very um, abrupt, very odd, something that he wouldn't do. Like his family was saying, oh, he would never just like leave abruptly with no one really knowing like where he was going. Um, so the wife comes home because after her business trip, she just comes home immediately 
and she sees it like chips and drinks and his Invisaligns were like left on the counter and all like all the lights were left on which I just thought was like super weird that like it was almost just like he was never really there like all of a sudden he just kind of disappeared and I was thinking oh did someone like kill him like outside of the house maybe um did he get in a car accident like but like no one knew where he was so Porter his best friend offered a thousand dollar reward for um like to see if anybody could find him or return them or knew any information really um but I also was like Porter was just kind of like a big like red flag in general for me so I was writing down I was like writing down some notes and I was like well maybe this is just to cover up his crime so he put down a reward so that no one would really suspect him and just, I think it's really weird that there's, there's no leads, um, there's no money taken out of his accounts, no credit cards are used, his phone is dead, and, like, no one can get to him, no one can realize, like, figure out where he's gone or, like, where he was going. About six days in, a big news, like, gets through where they find his car. And the car was found by his parents when they were driving um, into different parking lots just looking to see if they could find anything. Uh, it was behind this building on St. Paul Street, and um, it was left near the Belvedere Hotel, which is kind of like an old-fashioned, like used to be very like high class in the olden days, like um, just very nice hotel. And um, it was parked the night that he left. So it was parked on like May 16th because there was a parking ticket from the next morning because I don't think it could have been, the car couldn't have been parked overnight. Um, so then he, it was, he was also near the building where his job was. Um, and then the questions started coming up on whether it was a suicide or maybe even foul play, but there was nothing in the truck, like no struggle, um, no fingerprints, and like no really DNA proving that he was put um, up with like some force to be injured. Um, so basically on May 16th, Ray disappears. On May 22nd, his car is found and now the searches are started um, and someone found a hole in the hotel roof. Now this, I just thought was a little weird just in general because I was thinking, how did these people, so like everyone's searching and I get that, like of course like someone's going to find something, but how did they find a hole in the roof of this hotel? I just think it's a little crazy, but they either saw it from like the top of the hotel or from the top of the parking garage that was also across the street connecting to the hotel and the building that there was a hole in. And so that happened on May 24th, so about two days later. Now. You know, like everyone was just like, oh, like what is that room? And so then they talked to the manager of the hotel and he realized, oh, like that was like the old um, racquetball room and like um, conference room. And so I was like, well, that's kind of crazy. Like why, like why would there be a hole in the roof? Basically, it was like a solid metal roof. There wouldn't be too much damage that could be caused to it. Um, they also called it the old church room, which I thought was a little weird, but um. There was a body found in the room when they went into it, um, and the body was Ray Rivera. He had been missing for eight days, so the body was decomposed, and um, this caused for little evidence to really be found. Um, now they're trying, they're seeing this body, the horrible mourning that the family is going through, all the sorrow, but now they're just trying to figure out what happened and if he killed himself or like a foul play was involved, and they were trying to figure out who did it if that was the case. Um, a lot of people, even the police officers, were like, no, this is a suicide. Um, they were just really pushing for that story, I think, just to get it over with. Now, um, I just found that a little weird, um, just immediately suicide uh, being, like, the name. Like, that was it. But um, the family was just sitting there, and they were like, no, that's not the case. I don't think that that's what happened. And so 
really they were just like, mm, no, we got to look into this a little bit further. So now they're trying to figure out how he got through the hole in the roof. He caused the hole, but the hole was small enough where he couldn't go horizontally. He had to go into the hole vertically. So basically he, he created this hole, he caused this hole, falling from, basically I'm just going to say the sky because no one could really figure it out. He, he fell from the sky into the building, like into the roof, and he created a smaller hole where you could basically just put like go in feet first and have like little room around you and so it was kind of like a tight fit so you knew that like obviously the hole wasn't created on purpose it was very kind of messy and a little bit mangled now they're trying to figure out how he got onto the roof or how he fell and now they're like oh did it did he jump off the very top of the roof now the very top of the hotel was like 10 or 11 stories up crazy height. I think it may, I think they said it was like 45 feet or something, somewhere around there, which is, which is decently tall. And so they were like, oh, did you jump from there? But Ray was afraid of heights, his wife said, and that, um, it's just, she was too, and being up there, there's no railing. So she was really just trying to figure out, well, why would he even be up here in the first place? And then the second thing that was kind of like a red flag was that the location of the hole, it just, it made no sense on like where it was. Now, you know, they're trying to figure out, oh, did he jump from the very top of the roof? Did he jump from maybe a balcony or something? Did he jump from a window? Did he jump from the parking garage? No one could figure out where it was just because of the location of this hole in particular. Um, as for Ray and his injuries, another just like weird thing came up. Um, he had very extreme injuries, fractures, breaks, penetrations, like the whole, the whole shebang, I guess you could say. Um, and it's just like, well, now we have to include that with where he fell off at the top of the building or where he fell off just in general to see if the, um, the injuries really lined up. Now, the theory that they were trying to really go off of was that he fell off of the 11th floor ledge. Now, to get to this ledge, the crazy thing is, is that you would have to go through an office. You would have to actually go into the hotel, of course, go up the stairs. And then you'd have to go into like an uh, office room and then you'd have to go into an actual hotel room where someone was staying at. So basically you had to know somebody who was there um, or know someone who could get you in. And really, then you had to climb through a half window. Now a half window, just imagine like a normal, <laughs> this is going to sound so dumb, just imagine like a normal window and basically cut it in half. And instead of it being so wide, it's kind of like a small rectangle. And the man had to squeeze through this to get onto this ledge. Now, coming out of a window, climbing out of, no matter how big the size is, it's um, not easy to gain your balance um, in general, unless the window is as tall as you, where you could stand up straight and then walk straight out onto the ledge with um, little to no issues. This was a half window. The man was decently, decently sized. I mean, he's a grown man. And so he's climbing out onto this window and the ledge that they have is, it's very ornate and it's kind of like curved off. So it almost has like a cylinder kind of appeal to the side of it, um, where it's kind of smooth, just smooth curve off where there's no actual like really strong platform for somebody just to stand and walk around on with ease. It wasn't like a catwalk. It was more almost like walking on like a tightrope, but a little bit thicker. I guess you could say. Um, it's just really hard for them to imagine how someone could have like managed to get on there. And so they were just like trying to come up with conclusions. And then the more that they searched, they looked at the top of the building and they found his phone, his eyeglasses, 
both of those things were there. His phone was on the roof. His eyeglasses were also on the roof and his flip, he was wearing flip flops too. I just, I think it's crazy to climb out, out of a window onto the roof wearing flip flops, completely dangerous. Um, and so his flip flops were kind of askew. They were, um, one of them was broken. One of the straps on the side located on like the lateral side of his foot, uh, had broke off. Um, I don't know how you would really manage that, um, unless they were old, but they didn't look old because the wife actually had these things. I thought that was crazy too. I didn't know that you could really keep those things. Um, now the phone and the eyeglasses without a scratch, no damage whatsoever. Now, if you drop your phone, I, I just, I've dropped my phone just straight into the concrete. That's about three feet. If I do that, my phone can crack. It, it can, it can easily break. My friend dropped his phone for like two feet and then his phone completely was shattered. It just depends on like everything, but this phone had no, no damage to it whatsoever. And so to, in order to create the hole in the roof that was solid metal with ventilation and vents and whatever, I think it's like kind of like a styrofoamy kind of um, insulation. That's the name of it. Insulation that's in the, that's in the roof. That's a pretty hard fall. And so if, if the theory was that it was from the 11th floor, the 11th floor is a decent drop. The phone would be at least a little bit damaged. There would be some damage on it broken, shattered, not working. The phone was in perfect condition and was still working. Now as for the eyeglasses, eyeglasses, oh my gosh, you could do literally the smallest thing to them. You could smudge them the wrong way and they could easily break. These glasses were perfectly fine. Not a scratch, not even a smudge. So now more foul play kind of comes in where they're like, oh, well, this is a little odd. Um, they're just like, why is these possessions not damaged at all. Like no damage whatsoever. It looked staged. Now that was the thing that they said where I was like, you know, they're right. Like it does look staged. They didn't have any pictures, but if you can imagine it in your head, there's a hole on a roof and the roof was flat. It was kind of like, um, just any building of like any building's roof. It was flat and there was a hole kind of towards like the center of it, but closer to the hotel. And then, if you can imagine, this is what I did. I imagined flip-flops kind of on like either side of it, just kind of like laid askew, and then a phone and glasses placed pretty much anywhere. But you can like picture this in your head and you can really just be like, oh, well, how did that manage to happen? It's not like the fall, it wouldn't really place anything around the hole. If you think about the fall, just in general, if it was from like a running start, if it was just a straight leap, things would be falling out. His glasses most likely would have stayed on until the very end. So I can understand why it would be near the hole, but the, the phone could have fallen out of the pocket. It could have, it could have fallen in a crevice. It could have been, it could have really just never been found, but it was found and it was undamaged and the glasses were undamaged and the flip flops were pretty much in perfect condition. None of this was making any sense. And, and another thing just that the wife was trying to find because it was very special to her. She got it engraved with his um, initials RR. It was a money clip and it was a very nice money clip. And he kept his ID, his money, his, um, just all this stuff. It was like his wallet. That's what people use for wallets occasion, occasionally. But, um, no one has ever been able to find it. No one knows where it went. She had a picture of it. Um, probably like when she first got it. And so no one knows what happened to it. And I just think it just, it disappeared. It wasn't in the truck. She tore the truck up and 
she was just trying to find that money clip because of the value, the sentimental value that it really had towards her. And I completely understand that. But it's heartbreaking that she could never find it. So it almost seems, oh, maybe he was robbed. But it doesn't seem like it was forced. So then that leads to the placing of the staged look that maybe the same, like, just maybe it really was a staged thing. Um, no one knows anything. That's another note that I put down. No one has any clue what, what happened. Um, and just in order to get onto the roof in, in general, um, you have to get there. You have to know. You have to know how to get there. So you have to have like prior knowledge. You maybe even like look at blueprints of like a building and be like, oh, you can go up the stairs this way, that way, whatever the case may be. I just think it's kind of crazy. Um, you have to go up through this intricate staircase, walk through a few doors that are normally locked. Doors that are normally locked 99% of the time, but were apparently unlocked the day that Ray Rivera goes missing. I think that that's kind of crazy just in general. It just, everything was adding up to foul play, but no one really believed that. And another thing that added on top of it, there was no like indication that he was in the building. On the cameras, couldn't find anything. I was like, I was losing it. I was like, there's no cameras that show that he was there. And the roof camera that is normally always working, always functioning, was not working that day or that night. I just, it doesn't make any sense. I just, it, it was driving me insane. Um, that's one downfall of watching a show called Unsolved Mysteries. They're not solved. Um, there, it's just, there's no abusive evidence. So everyone was leaning, all the cops, the people, the like, not the family, because I didn't believe it. Everyone was leaning towards suicide. Now, the only thing that was inconsistent to the fall, um, this, she went to the um, medical examiner, the wife did, because the medical examiner, and she talked to her, and the medical examiner says, I don't believe that this was a suicide, and I'm going to put it down as undetermined. Undetermined means that the case really can't be closed. Um, if the medical examiner d cannot determine whether it's a suicide or foul play, um, or like a murder, I shouldn't really say foul play for that, um, for like murder or someone killing another, um, the case has to stay open until something is found or something is solved. There wasn't enough evidence to really conclude either story, but his shins were broken. The place on his, uh, tibia and fibula were very, um, inconsistent to the way that he would have fallen. They were broken. I'm going to guess medially. I can't, um, medially means like kind of like in the middle. Um, and so his shin bones, they were, they were broken. And when somebody falls, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be really from the fall. Um, I guess you could say it's just it, the medical examiner just called it un like inconsistent. And so I just really was like, really just lost the whole time. Now, another thing that they found, she was searching the house, just looking for anything, anything at all that she could find that could really just see why he left or what was going on. If maybe if he knew something that he shouldn't have, if he uncovered a rock that needed to stay covered. And then she finds a note. Now, I mean, the, this is what the people in the, in the show said. This is like the, what the police or the head of the police, I think, said. And he was like, now, like, when people commit suicide, then they leave a note because most of the time they want their friends and family to know, like, why they did it or um, that, they, that they did kill themselves. Uh, to not leave them, like, with any worry or concern, I guess you could say. Um, she finds a note on the back of the computer. It was taped to the back of, like, their, like, Mac or Apple computer. Um, wasn't a laptop. It was like a big like home computer. And um, 
um, it was, he was like hiding it enough where only he really knew where it was for the for the time like that he really need, needed it to be there, I guess you could say. The note was completely weird. Now, it was literally, the note, they showed it next to a ruler. The note was seven inches. And the height was maybe two to three inches. Now, like, you're like, that makes no sense. Um, think about it, almost, it's a little bit smaller than, like, a normal keyboard. Um, definitely about half the length. And, um, around the same height. So, and it was, like, three pages of, like, a, um topped, topped, typed up document, um, that was just written, I guess it was just typed out on the computer and then printed into a very small, um, sm small format, I guess, small format. Um, and so she's like, okay, the only reason that I know that he wrote it the day that he went missing is because of the fact that the scraps that he cut from that big piece of paper down to this little one, they were still in the trash. And I guess she takes out the trash every day. So then that way she knew that it was from that day. It was from, what was it? I think it was the 16th. She knew that it was from May 16th. And so the note, the note makes no sense whatsoever. And so there's a line that says, whom virtue writes, that's not what it says, whom virtue unites, I can't read apparently, death will not separate. And so she's like, that just makes no sense. Nothing in the note makes sense. Nothing's actually written out like, oh, I'm sorry to inform you, like, or like, I was going through a series of depression, or I love you all. Nothing, nothing was making sense. And so she looks up that quote that I just told you, whom virtue unites, death will not separate. She looks it up and she finds out that it's from Freemasons. Now, um, Freemasons is like a secret society. He apparently, according to the wife, he loved secret societies. He loved everything about him, probably just because of like the mystery and like, um, hidden aspect of it all. And so it wasn't a suicide note. They could, they could easily all concur that it wasn't a suicide note. It was almost like he was just taking notes in general. Um, but like not notes. It was like he was leaving a message, but the message, no one, no one could figure out what it meant. And so it's just, everything about it was just odd. He left names of people that he was, um, that were really like important to him, I guess that's significant people, but he did leave some people out, which I thought was odd. Um, some like celebrities too. Um, then he also wrote down movies that were like really impactful to his life. And just all this in the note just really made no sense to me. And uh, no one could really concur anything from it, except for the fact that it was not a suicide note. Um, then they really went back to the night that he went missing, around 6.30 when they got the call. Everything seemed to happen in a hurry. Um, the call was very brief, maybe about two minutes at the maximum, they said. And so he picks up the phone and he, I guess, you know, any conversation would start with hello. And then um, Claudia hears the word, oh, like, but it wasn't really said like that. It was more like um, a surprise. It was like, oh, and then all of a sudden, he puts on his flip-flops and then he runs out the door. Now, like I told you a little bit earlier in this podcast, Porter was very suspicious. Porter is the best friend. It caused him to really move out there, get the job in the first place. And the company, Stansbury, that was the company's name, Stansbury. Um, and that was where he worked. Another crazy thing I thought, the guy's name, the best friend, Porter Stansbury. So he was really like the owner, one of the co-owners maybe, the son of the company. And so it's just, the call came 
On that night at 6.30, the call came from Stansbury where he worked. And I was like, what? Like, that's kind of crazy. Like, you know, like what's going to happen? Are they going to investigate it? All that. And so they tried to investigate it. And then immediately the day that the, that that was discovered, I guess that information of the phone was found or the body was found instantly Stansbury, the whole company puts a gag order on the workers within hours of finding, of finding the body. And even that, even here I wrote, Porter is suspicious. Just something about him. And just, they were best friends since I think that they were 15. And I just, he, Porter Stansbury wouldn't even take calls, like, just in general, from like the family, from the wife or the brother, I guess. And he wouldn't take calls in general. And he would not set up an interview for this TV show, like at all. So immediately it's like, oh, cat got your tongue because you were the, you were the murderer. You were the one who did it. And I really think that he was because just something about it. It just makes sense. Now at the very end, I'm going to say what I really think happened. I'm going to be like a detective and I'm going to say that I solved the case. Do not take my word for that. I'm pretty much going off all the information that they gave us. Um, so the job that Ray had, he was a videographer for a little bit. And then he, he was writing this from what I could get from the show. It was a little bit confusing for me because I don't really understand, um, big like law firms or big companies and, um, just stuff in general. That's very more adult and very advanced sometimes. Um, this report that he, he was writing, it was called the rebound report. And, um, all of a sudden this big scandal comes up and somebody, calls it and like the big companies, they say that it was lies, that it was fraudulent, that everything that he wrote in there, like the, um, it was about like taxes, I believe, um, 10 things that you should do for tax, for better taxes. I think if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And you've watched it and you're like, that's definitely not what it said. Um, excuse me. <laughs> but, um, and basically just the whole thing was that it was fraudulent. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Why would they say that? And then this whole scandal, a lot of people lost a lot of money from the company. Like the big people in the company, they lost a lot of money. Another thing, I just think it's, it's, someone's going to get upset. Um, now one note that I got to say two weeks before his death, he was worried about something. And, uh, the wife was saying, you know, he just, he seemed to be worried for, I guess he was normally like bubbly and stuff, but he just seemed that something was getting at him. Something was eating at him and just, she couldn't figure out what. And the day before he disappeared, May 15th, 2006, it was a Tuesday. Um, the alarm went off at, I don't know if it was a Tuesday, correction. The alarm went off at 1 a.m., just 1 a.m., randomly. And she said the alarm has never gone off before that. It was a good alarm. Most alarms don't go off randomly unless you set the alarm. Um, and the alarm, oh, sorry, I probably should have clarified this too. The alarm, it was not a, um, an alarm clock. It was not something to like wake you up in the morning, like to get you out of bed. The alarm was something for the house. It was, um, security system, the alarm, security system alarm. And so the alarm went off at 1am and, um, of course anyone would freak out, um, at 1am. Someone's trying to get into the house, maybe, um, Someone, maybe, maybe something like ran by like one of the sensors, someone, something caused the sensor to go off, like whatever the case may be, but you just, you want to figure out what it is because it's your house and you're concerned about your safety and your loved one's safety. And so she goes downstairs and, um, she tries to like check it out, but she doesn't see anything. Nothing's there. But Ray comes downstairs and he is coming at it with a bat in his hand. 
And, um, she just, the way that she said this, um, it was, he normally wasn't scared of things. He was normally like a big tough guy, you know, like fearless, I guess you could say. But she said that when she looked at him, when he was holding the bat, there was a huge amount. There was an immense amount of fear in his eyes and she knew that something was up. I think that says a lot. That was the day before he disappeared and the day before he really died. Um, and so all of a sudden you're just going to be there and you're going to be like, Oh, the alarm went off on accident at 1am, but the fear that he has in his eyes isn't any indicator that something else was going on behind the scenes, I guess you could say, um, behind everything like that he was hiding. And then the next following Tuesday, the alarm went off again and it looked like the window had been tampered with, that someone had tried to get into the house and that someone was really trying to get it, get at somebody else or just try to break in in general. But the police were like, oh no, it was probably a squirrel. It was just nothing simple. Maybe even a chipmunk, I guess you could say. Just, no, I don't think anybody was trying to break into your house. They pushed it off. But I really think that something did go down and I feel like someone did try to break into the house and I feel like that was the person that knew that Ray Rivera had done something, that something was fraudulent and that, that he was upset that he lost a lot of money or that the company lost a lot of money. And it's just odd. It's one thing after the other was adding on to it. And now everybody on this case, everyone, all the cops, even the detectives think that it is a suicide, but there's no, but there's no like conclusion to this. There's, you can't say that it's a suicide without the right evidence, without the right um, proof. But the lead detective on this, on the case, he was like, this isn't a suicide. Like, I know it's not. And he was basically just like, I just, I got to prove, I got to prove to everybody really that it's not a suicide, that this was foul play that had happened. And, um, he gets moved off the case. Odd. I think it's so weird. Um, to have somebody be the only hope that you have to have someone really be like, Oh, like I believe, I believe you. I believe that it was not like, I, I believe that it was not a suicide, that this wasn't someone purposely trying to kill themselves. I believe that someone else did this to him because I believe you and your family telling me, oh, he's not the kind of person to do that. But the other police officers were probably just trying to push this case away just so they could move on to more and um, spend their time on something else, which I think is a horrible system. But they never said that. I don't know if that's true or not. But even if the case may be even leading to that, I just think it's horrible. Now, just he gets moved and he gets off the case completely. The only person that really believes that anything had happened gets put off the case, gets moved because, oh, well, you know, they may know too much. That's my indication. They may know something. And you know, like, oh, this person, no, he's too good at his job. He may figure something out. We're going to shut him off. We're going to get him off the case. I think that that may be something. I think that maybe he knew something or he was going to uncover something that shouldn't be uncovered. Just like Ray Rivera did. And the other police officers, I don't think, I don't think that they wanted him to do that. Either that or they just wanted him off the case so they can move on to more important studies or other cases. But... The fact that they, um, that they just moved him in general, the only person who really cared, it's just, it's a little heartbreaking. It's a little, it's heartbreaking just towards the family too. Um, 
But now let's go back to what I really think happened. So you heard the story, you heard everything. I told you pretty much everything that happened. I wrote down 99% of the whole story just so I could really give you all a accurate depiction instead of just me making up things along the way to um, come up with things, I guess you could say. I think Porter Stansbury did it. Now maybe he wasn't the actual one to push him off the building or get him there, but maybe he was. Now the reason I'm saying this, like I told you all several times now, he's suspicious. He's odd. He's a little, little bit odd, especially towards the end of this case. Your best friend just passed away. I know that for me personally, I would, I don't know how I would handle it. Um, I know for a fact that I would immediately talk to the family. Um, I would talk to the family in general, uh, make sure everything was okay with them, make sure that they were uh, mourning, that if in the case they needed anything, I would be there. But this guy, mm -mm, he does nothing. He sets up that award for $1,000 when he goes missing. But when that body is found, he's dead silent. Almost saying, oh, they caught me. But they won't catch me. Now, they may have caught my act, but they will not catch the one who did it. I think it's a little odd, Porter Stansbury, that the company immediately put a gag order on all the workers. The call came from Stansbury, so you know that someone knows something. That was the call that caused him to leave the house, that caused him to go to the Bellevue, that caused him to fall through that roof. I just, I just think that the whole company has something on it. Someone got mad about money. Someone got mad about the fraudulent, um, I guess, just accusations that, that, they were, that they were getting. Nothing was adding up except for the fact that the whole Stansbury situation, the whole Stansbury company, had that big debacle with the rebound report that was written by Ray Rivera and Porter Stansbury. Porter Stansbury probably gets in a lot of trouble. I mean, of course, his name's part of the company. This fraudulent thing, your name was on that report. You got to do something about this kid. You got to do something about Ray Rivera. You got to get him out of the company. Maybe he talked to Ray and he was like, you know what? Like, this big thing happened. Like, you know, but um, you may be getting fired and uh, I, may be ha I may be the one that has to do it. And that may be the thing that set off what caused him to be so worried. Um, maybe that was the thing that was gnawing at it for two weeks. So I'm going to get fired from this job. Uh, me and my wife, you know, like we're, we're just married. Maybe they want to start a family. You know, you got to have a good source of income. And then all of a sudden, maybe something happens a little bit later, maybe a weekend to the two weeks of the nervousness that he has. And maybe someone's like, you know what? If you, if you aren't cut from the company, if you don't leave this company, I am going to kill you. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe out of all these things, Porter was like, like, I'm so sorry, but, um, you know, you are my best friend, but if you don't leave this company, I have no other choice. That's what, that's what the big man upstairs is telling me. That's, that's what the boss, that's the manager, that's the whole owner of the company. That's the big man. That is what he is telling me to do. He's telling me to kill you or else more things will get out that maybe the other reports were fraudulent, except that one was the only one that was discovered. And so maybe this is, this is what I came up behind the phone call. Someone from Stansbury calls him and says, and I think, and I honestly think it was Porter because um, at the time being, I mean, they're, they're still best friends. 
Um, you don't know really anything of the backstory before this happened, except for what I just told you, like what I think may have happened. And so maybe he's like, you know, after this whole fraudulent thing, after this thing happened, I really, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't continue on. I'm going to jump off this hotel. I can't do it. I can't, I can't live with the fact that I lost my company thousands, millions of dollars, I guess you would say. Hundreds of thousands. And then Ray was like, Any, then if anybody would ever call you and it's just like, I'm going to end my life. Never, never, I guess, let them do that. It's just, it's a horrible thing that people will ever have to go through. But maybe he's just thinking, he's just sitting there and he's like, what? And then he goes, oh. And the way, the way that Claudia said it, that it was a surprise. Um, anything, any news you could get could be a surprise. Oh, um, like your best friend. Oh, like my wife is pregnant. Oh, that could be the surprise. Or in the case that I'm thinking that it may be, I'm going to end my life. Come, come save me from this. Cause I don't, I don't think that I can on my own. Oh, and then you immediately leave out the door in a rush, leave everything the way it was, the lights on, put on flip-flops, put on the shoes as fast as you can, and you run and you speed over to the Belvedere Hotel. You go up the stairs because maybe he has a room. He has a room on the 11th floor. And he's going to jump out that window. And he's going to end his life. And you, you get up to the room. You get through the office. You get into the room that he's staying at. He, you get the key. And just as a backup, just in case he ever loses it, I guess, he could give it to you. Maybe he's staying at the Belvedere for two weeks or something, just, just because it's closer to the office. And so then, wow, you know, you get to that window. And uh, no one's there. No one's standing on the ledge. No one's about to take their life. But then all of a sudden you get hit in your shins. You get taken out. You can't, you can't walk. One of your legs, it's just, it's broken. The bone is sticking out in the other. And you're, you're defenseless. You can't do anything. You just, you're, you're, you're hurt. You're injured. And then you look up and you see that it's your best friend. You see that it's Porter. Porter, why are you doing this? Like I told you, if you weren't going to leave the company, I was going to make you leave one way or another. I can really just see this all playing out in my head. And the way that I can see it, it's almost disturbing for the fact that it seems so easily conceivable, seems so real, that I'm coming up with all of this. And so Porter, I could see Porter being like, um, you have to leave the company. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that the things have led us to this, but you made us lose almost millions, billions of dollars. I'm sorry that I have to end your life. And he's thinking, oh, he's going to shoot me. Oh, he's, he's just going to kill me right here in this room. No one's ever going to know who did it. But... No, I think he makes him get out on that ledge. Even with his broken legs, I think he's just like, you know what, get out on the ledge. He makes sure he gets him out. And then he's like, now jump. And then I think, I think Ray does it. Because imagine both of your shins being broken. Imagine the pain that you're going through. Imagine the, the, the things that you're feeling. Then all of a sudden, your best friend betrays you on top of that. And then he either tells you to jump or he physically pushes you off the building. I just think, I just think that death would honestly be inevitable. Um, there's no help coming for you. No one knows you're there. You left the house in a rush. Your wife isn't at home. Your wife's on a business trip. No one's there. 
No one knows that you're there. No one knows the story behind it. all of this going on because you kept it from everyone else because you knew that it was information that you had, information that you caused, things that you caused that um, no one could really know about. And so you fall through the building. You fall through that roof and you're gone. Now, I believe that Porter easily took his money clip. Easily took all of his money and his belongings. I just think he, I just think he took the clip. Um, made him take off his shoes. I think, I think that he made him take off his shoes. Get out on that ledge. Took his phone. Took his glasses. So maybe he um, couldn't see anything. Um, just, and then he took his phone. Um, so he couldn't call anyone. And so it's just, it was one thing after another. And then he was just like, oh, wow, like, that's it. That's, that's all. You can't do anything now because I have everything that, like, that you need to get out of this situation. And that was it. That's what I think happened. <laughs> Who knows if that actually happened. Um, just the horrible story. But at the end of this episode, it was the first time that I ever watched it. Um... And so I was just like, wow, like that's kind of crazy. And so I was just like, you know, like that whole story, I think I figured out what happened. And so I'm just sitting there and I was just like, oh, good episode. Like, let's get into the next one. And all of a sudden this notification comes up on the screen and it says, if you know anything about this case, if you know um, anything at all, um, please um, just, just tell me, you know, like send in information and then, like, send it to these people, send, give it into the website. They're still trying to solve these cases, which I just think is crazy. Um, but, yeah, that's the conclusion of episode one. That's it for episode one. And uh, thank you all for listening in. Hopefully, maybe you can figure out this case. Uh, uh, thank you all for listening in to my theories about it. And uh, I will see you guys next time. Bye.